Well, today we're talking about our, our value of improvement here at, at Connect. And uh, you all know that I am a Seattle Seahawks fan, and there's a number of you in the house. Oh, stop. Stop. Wow. I just got home. Hostility. Come on. <laughs> okay, let me start again. <clears throat> I apologize for being a Seahawks fan. <laughs> I was going to wear a Seahawks. I was going to wear a Seahawks jersey today. I guess I probably should have. Maybe it would have. I, I don't know. Bob. Okay, go Cats! Right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the Seahawks because that's going to that's going to be that's going to go with our message. Although the cat, I'm really excited about the cat, Cats. That's awesome. So anyway, one of the one of the players I really like on the Seahawks team is Stephen Hauschka. He's the, one of the Seahawks kickers, and uh, and while we were gone, we didn't watch any of the games. But just before we left, those of you that follow football closely, you'll remember the Seahawks played the Cardinals. How many of you saw that game? All right, some of you saw that game. It was an amazing game, and uh, it came down to the end of the game, and the Cardinals and the Seahawks were tied. And Chris and I are just glued to the TV set, wondering what's going to happen. And of course, when the game ends in a tie, it goes into overtime. And during overtime, the Cardinals got the ball, and they ran it all the way down to the end zone. And we were convinced that they were going to score and win the game. But the Seahawks defense held the line and they were forced to kick a field goal. And if they made the field goal, they would have won the game in overtime. And here's what happened. Take a look. Those guards need to reach up with their hands and make some contact with it. 24-yard attempt. Oh, he hits the upright. It's no good. in the world that's the reason how in the world so Chris and I are all excited the Seahawks are going to get the ball so the Seahawks get the ball and Russell Wilson is throwing and they make their way all the way down the field get all the way down and they go to kick the winning field goal and here's what happens incidental John Ryan to hold and he misses it that's impossible impossible uh, I'm telling you there's something inside his brain about this building Woo. oh my goodness gracious that could not have happened you know what maybe this is justice for all concerned so the game ends in a tie which I understand hardly ever happens but one of the things that I found really interesting about this game was the reaction of the coaches in the interviews afterwards. And each one of the coaches was asked about that field goal that was missed by their kicker. And here's what the Cardinals coach, Bruce Arian, said about his kicker. He said this, make it. This is professional. This ain't high school, baby. You get paid to make it. But listen to what, what the Seahawks coach, Pete Carroll, said about his kicker. He said, Hauschka made his kicks to give us a chance, and unfortunately, he didn't make the last one. He's been making kicks for years around here, but he's going to hit a lot of winners as we go down the road here. Isn't that an interesting contrast? One coach demanding perfection. 
The other coach that has a lot of grace and a lot of patience, understanding that the sport of football is an imperfect science. So I want to talk a little bit about perfectionism. I say quite often that I am a recovering perfectionist. How many of you are like me? You're a recovering perfectionist. Okay, it's a tough disease to have, but it is truly a disease. Um, But here's another question that I'll ask all of you, whether you're a perfectionist or not. How many of you know that you're never going to be perfect? Right? Absolutely. So why... Why, if we're never going to be perfect, why do we work so hard to be perfect? A lot of us put a lot of energy into that. But you know what? Here at Connect, we don't. We don't. And one of the values that we talk about a lot is that we value improvement, but we don't demand perfection because we understand that life is not a scientific sport. Just like football, there's times when you hit the goalpost or you miss the the goalpost altogether. And so we don't try to be perfect, but we do strive for improvement. And I want to tell you why today. Today, as we take a look at the Bible and and the Bible stories, we're going to take a look at the story of one of Jesus' disciples. His name is Peter. And if you know anything at all about Peter, you know that he was the consummate screw-up. When you read stories about Peter, it seems like he was always messing something up. He was far from perfect. Just like me, just like you. He was always messing something up. But what I love about Peter is he was always improving. He was always improving. And I hope today that you will be able to relate like Peter. I really do. And here's what we're going to see as we walk through his story. This is on your notes if you want to jot this down. Jesus never demanded perfection, and neither should we. Can I just say that again? Jesus never demanded perfection, and neither should we. If you, uh, if you haven't had a chance to get notes, I forgot to mention this earlier, because I'm not perfect. Um, We've got some note cards up here on the sides of the stage. Feel free to jump up and grab some. There's also some back there at the welcome desk back there if you want to grab notes. And uh, I think you'll want to remember some of this stuff. So I hope you'll write some of this stuff down. So let's take a look at the story of Peter. The story of Peter. Uh, I'm going to just share some highlights from Peter's life uh, that illustrate this truth that, that Peter made mistakes, but Jesus in his grace didn't demand perfection. And it's going to really inform why we value improvement instead of perfection around here. And the first story that I want to highlight today, and, and if you've ever read the Bible or if you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard the story of Peter walking on the water. Peter walks on the water and then he sinks. You can find this story in Matthew chapter 14 and, and, uh, and, and it's a cool story because Peter starts out great. He sees Jesus walking on the water, and the Bible says that when he saw Jesus walking on the water, he stepped out of the boat and made his way to Jesus. He was filled with faith. He was filled with enthusiasm. He was excited. He just, I kind of think that Peter probably didn't even think much. He just stepped out of the boat and went, and that faith kept him above the water. Awesome thing. But the Bible says that when he saw how strong the wind was and how high the waves were, That faith turned to fear, and he immediately began to sink. 
Peter, the consummate screw-up. And Jesus saved him, the Bible says, chided him a little bit. The story's great. But I can really relate to Peter. Can you? Have you ever, have you ever gotten afraid and taken your eyes off Jesus? I have. And, and if you've ever been in that situation, then you can probably relate to Peter. And thank God, Jesus never demanded perfection from Peter. He was patient. And I think we shouldn't demand perfection either. So what we see in Peter is kind of this trajectory of improvement. Not perfection, but improvement. And there's another story that I want to draw your attention to. And, and, and this is an interesting story. It's one of my favorites about, about Peter. It's a story in which Peter sees Jesus transfigured. And then he says a whole bunch of ignorant stuff. I'll read some of this story to you. But it, it's kind of a funny story. My, my friend Scott Morales that, that leads the band up here, he, he uses the word ignorant. He'll say every once in a while, well, that's just ignorant. Okay? Everybody say ignorant. Ignant. All right. Have you ever said ignant stuff? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know what I'm talking about. All right. Peter found himself in this place quite often of saying ignant stuff. And in this story, it's really cool because Jesus invited three of the disciples, just three, Peter, James, and John, to go up on the mountain with him. And while they were on the mountain, this miraculous thing took place. Jesus, who they knew to be human, his whole appearance changed. The Bible uses the word transfigured. We could use the word transformed. But everything about him changed and he was revealed to them to be a god. Not just human, but he was God in the flesh. And they saw this with their eyes. And in Matthew chapter 17, this is what we read. Um, Peter exclaimed, and here's the ignorant part, okay? Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, one for Isaiah. Basically, he's saying, I'm going to build the Lincoln Memorial for all of y'alls. And, and he's just babbling. And the very next verse says that even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud, God's voice, said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. Essentially what God was saying is, Peter, just shut up, okay? Because you're just ignorant. Have you ever been there? Can you relate, can you relate to Peter? Where, where God himself had to shut you up because you were just ignorant? Peter started out so well. But in classic style, he stumbled. And, and evidently, he was just so ridiculous that God himself had to shut him up. And I, I wonder if Peter felt really stupid. I bet he did. And you can probably relate to that. I can as well. But listen, Jesus never demanded perfection. And neither should we. Now, as we look at, at these stories from Peter's life, we're going to see that Peter wasn't perfect. But we're also going to see that he's improving. But there's, there's another story that I, I want to highlight to you uh, that's that's probably the most painful and probably the most famous story about Peter and how he screwed up. And it starts out this way. Take a look at this video. Rabbi, I will not fall away. 
I will lay down my life for you. Will you? I will. Before dawn, you will deny me three times. you can read this story in Mark chapter 14, and what we see is that Jesus warns Peter, but Peter betrayed him anyway. And wouldn't you think that if you were warned that you were potentially going to do something really stupid, wouldn't you think that somebody would avoid doing what Jesus himself had just warned about? But not Peter. Here's Peter failing again, messing up again. Jesus warned him, and then Peter went ahead and betrayed him. The Bible says that three times Peter claimed that he didn't even know Jesus. One time, he even used curse words to underscore the fact that he was not a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I wonder if you can relate to Peter. Have you ever denied Jesus? Have you ever been at that place where even though you had been warned about the dangers of denying who Jesus is, you just went ahead and veered off in that direction anyway. And, and if you can relate to that, I, I think you're in good company. Many of us can. But here's what's awesome about Jesus. Jesus didn't demand perfection from Peter or anybody else. And neither should we. But now we see really good things happening in Peter's life as we keep going through the Gospels. And, and this is what's encouraging to me because when I feel like I'm a big screw-up, I, I can see that the people that really follow Jesus, they get better. And we can see that in Peter. Here's one of the things that we see towards the end of the story of Jesus. Uh, Peter was one of the first disciples to see Jesus after the resurrection. And you can read that in John chapter 20. And, and what I love about this is Peter had denied Jesus just before the crucifixion, but just a few days later, he was running to the tomb as soon as he heard that Jesus was alive. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid of Jesus' rejection or rebuke. He was ready to go and see Jesus, and, and he did. And Jesus didn't reject him. Jesus didn't fire him or avoid him or scrutinize him. And Peter was going to get even better. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, we see Peter again, one of his shining moments. Peter preaches his first sermon, and 3,000 people get baptized. 3,000 people after his first sermon. Jeff, how long ago did you preach your first sermon here at Connect? A few months ago? A few months ago. Can you imagine how awesome it would be if 3,000 people jumped in that tank after your first sermon? Okay, awesome. I've been preaching for a lot of years, and I, cumulatively, there haven't even been 3,000 people. I'm, this was awesome, right? And Peter must have been on top of the world. 
And maybe you can relate to Peter here. Maybe you've had times of huge spiritual victory when you were clicking on all eight cylinders and you knew that you and you and God were tight, you were doing well, you were doing extraordinary things for God. Maybe you can relate to the victories in Peter's life. That's awesome. And maybe you can also look back on those times with deep regret because after that time you blew it really big. Well, guess what? That was the story of Peter's life as well. We see Peter throughout the book of Acts spending years as a missionary, having revelations and visions from God. We see Peter planting churches, working miracles. His life was extraordinary. But even years after all of this happened, 3,000 people getting baptized, there's another story of Peter screwing up. And in Acts chapter 15 and Galatians chapter 2, the stories are parallel. We find that Peter plays the hypocrite. And Paul, the apostle that comes to the story way late in the game, gets in his face and rebukes Peter. It's a great story. I don't know if you've ever read it. If you haven't, you ought to read it. What happens is these guys are at an important church conference and Paul gets afraid of religious, I'm sorry, Peter gets afraid of religious persecution. He'd been working with Gentiles and the Holy Spirit had revealed that Gentiles could come to faith in Jesus, just like the Jews. And Peter had been working with Gentiles and ministering to them, but he got afraid of the Jewish Christians. And so he became a hypocrite and began avoiding all of the Gentile Christians. This was after years of ministry and success and miracles. And Paul the Apostle was so, so indignant, which is different than ignorant. He was so indignant that he just got in Peter's face and dressed him down. And you can read the story if you want to later. I hope you will. But once again, this is what's awesome. This failure didn't stop Peter. And can I just ask you this question? Have you let your failures discourage you? Have you let your mistakes and your screw-ups define who you are? Well, there's good news here. Peter's screw-ups didn't define who he was. He kept improving. He kept getting better. And even though he kept making mistakes, Jesus never demanded perfection. And Peter just got better and better and better. And the same is true for you and the same is true for me. Thank you. Hallelujah is exactly right. So let me ask you this question. Why would Jesus build his church with people like Peter? Why didn't he just find perfect people to do the job? The answer lies in what happened on the cross. And I want you to think with me for a minute. Jesus was perfect. And I think we all want to be like Jesus. But the reality is he's the only person who never sinned. Not even once. And I don't know about you, but I I want to be like Jesus. I aspire to be like Jesus. But you know what? Jesus doesn't demand perfection of me. Instead, this is what he did. Are you ready for this? Jesus traded his perfection for our 
imperfection. Isn't this awesome? He traded his perfection for our imperfection. The Bible says that while he was on the cross, all of our sins were laid on him. I picked this verse to go right here, and I didn't even realize until this week when I was studying it all again. These are Peter's words. This is what Peter wrote in the Bible. Peter said, Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. And I think this is talking not just about physical healing, but it's talking about spiritual healing. You know what? I carry scars from all the ways I've screwed up in my life. I carry wounds But the cross heals those wounds. It heals my regrets. It heals my remorse. It heals my my self-loathing. The cross heals all of that stuff because he trades his perfection for my imperfection. Last night I was laying in bed. I I had spent some time studying last night and I was laying in bed and, and the words to this old song came to mind If you've been around church for any length of time, you'll probably remember this song. Remember this? My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. My sin is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Jesus doesn't demand perfection, friends, from you or from me. I think Jesus hopes we'll improve. He empowers us to improve. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, right? But all the self-loathing and condemnation that we heap on ourselves, that's not coming from Jesus. Because he took my imperfection and he nailed it to the cross and the same is true for you. Do you know your imperfection is nailed to the cross? And that's why we say that we value improvement. Because it's unreasonable for me, with all my imperfection, to expect that you would be perfect. And Jesus doesn't expect you to be perfect either. That's what the cross is all about. Can you relate to Peter today? There's a lot 
to think about isn't there. And if you're like Peter, listen, you may not be perfect, but you are improving. And if you're not, listen, today's a good day to start. Today's a good day to start. And maybe today that starts with you making the trade of saying, Jesus, I'm bringing my imperfection and you're going to nail it to the cross and he's going to give you his what? His perfection. Nothing you have to earn or achieve. It's a gift from God. It's a grace. It's a mercy. Would you put your things aside? Would you bow your heads with me and, and let's pray. Jesus, it just seems like every time I open the pages of my Bible, there's one more reason to just stand in awe of you. Jesus, I'm I'm just awed today by the fact that you are perfect. You are holy. And yet you made this incredibly generous trade with all of us of taking our unholiness, our sin and our mistakes and our rebellions and you nailed them to the cross and you gave us your perfection. You gave us your holiness as a free gift for just saying yes. Yes, Jesus. And today, Lord, I I just sense that there are a bunch of us here today They came to church feeling pretty low, feeling like failures, feeling like screw-ups. And today, we needed to hear that you don't demand perfection, but that you always forgive and you always pick us up. Like Peter sinking in the waves, you reach out and rescue us. Today, Jesus, I, I just... I believe that you're rescuing somebody in this room right now. You're reaching down into that sinking water and you're pulling us out. And Jesus, for whoever that is today, I want to pray for a new start today and a new quest for getting better, for improving, and for healing, Jesus. Will you heal those broken places in our hearts and in our spirits, in our bodies? Jesus, we trust you for healing today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I want us to pray one more time, and I I want to pray very specifically just before we close today that Jesus will change us from the inside out. Because you know what? It's not about trying harder. It's not about adding a bunch of stuff to your to-do list. It's about Jesus changing my heart, what I love, right? Right? And so uh, I, want, I want us to pray very specifically for anyone in this room that needs inside to change today. And I'm going to ask you to be real brave today. If you want to be included in this prayer, would you raise your hand real high and hold it up? Keep it up, all right? That you need a change from the inside out. Come on, all over this room. All over this room. Jesus, our hands are raised. Our hands are raised because we need you to change our hearts. 
Jesus, will you just change what we love? Because I know for me, a lot of times and for a lot of seasons in my life, I've loved the wrong things. And I can't change it. I've tried. God knows I've, I've tried. Jesus, I need you to change my heart. And so we come to you with deep humility, Jesus. And we're asking you, Lord, to nail our imperfection to the cross. Actually, it's already been done. But Lord, will you help us to just let it go because it's already been nailed to the cross. It's nailed to the cross. And Jesus, will you just miraculously, mercifully, gracefully give us your perfection, your holiness, your righteousness, your heart. We pray this, Jesus, in your powerful name. Everybody in the room say amen. Amen means so be it. So be it, just as we've prayed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.